We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I like a bed that's really firm. I need something a little softer than that. Rest easy. With the Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed, you can both adjust your comfort with your Sleep Number setting. Can it really help me fall asleep faster? Yes, by gently warming your feet. Okay, but can it help keep us asleep? It senses your movements and automatically adjusts to keep you effortlessly comfortable. Sleep Number, proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. Don't miss our President's Day weekend special. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing and free premium delivery when you add a base. Ends Monday. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. This is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk and this is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Slightly delayed, I say slightly, this is actually the morning of the the, uh, the next game, but this is actually the uh, post-match Hull City podcast, so um wanted to get this out before the next game turned up on our doorsteps. Nil-nil against a championship team, uh, not a great result, but I do think a lot of the changes um, affected our game, some may not agree with that, I think you could see by the results in the FA Cup, Spurs losing at home to Palace. Man City getting smashed by Chelsea. When you make changes, no matter how big your squad is, it can affect you, and it did us. But um, I don't think we played that, that badly. But our finishing, once again, I have to say, it's been a bit of a problem. Yeah, we need to sort that out, really, because we've um, got some big games coming up, and we need to score goals, as I said recently. Score goals, don't concede them, and you win games. It's all very easy, isn't it, really, um, from the comfort of my house. Anyway... And they put me banging on any much further. I'm going to be back after the Barcelona game. 
so will everyone else and um talk about that but in the meantime i shall be handing you over to elliot tim and paul to discuss the draw against hull city oh before i go apologies for the quality of the sound this week had a few sound issues in the past but we're trying to solve it and we will do so at some point i'm sure um but yeah a few issues this week more so than normal so try and stick with it and we will try to fix that asap enjoy the pod and back after barcelona next few days welcome to the arsenal vision pre-match podcast my name is elliot smith and you can block me on twitter at yankee gunner okay okay to be fair we are also a bit of a post-match podcast so we may say a brief word about the nil nil draw that occurred over the weekend against hull the good news is if you like watching arsenal we earned ourselves another game where you can watch Arsenal some more. We'll talk about it briefly and then mention another cup competition that we're in. Uh, we will probably have already played the fixture by the time you even notice that this podcast has been released. But for the time being, we'll record it as if that's not the case. I am joined, as ever, by Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. You can read him on uh, the Arse blog, uh, Arsecast blog, the, the blog that Arse blog does. It's a blog about Arsenal. Uh, okay, Tim, help me. That's a seamless introduction. Thank you. As ever. Um, and because there is no editing, and in most cases, not even any sound engineering that goes into this podcast, that intro is going to be left in. I am also joined by the man who is going to cause this to be a pretty poor sound engineered podcast because he's recording it from a parking lot where he's currently hiding out from the authorities. His name is Paul, and you can find him on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. Hello, Paul. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? You're coming in five by five. We read you out. Over. I have no idea uh, what that means. Woohoo! No. Uh, are you hold up in a wildlife preserve somewhere i'm back to my favorite walgreens parking lot good i hope they still have that lube that you like the strawberry is the best (laughs) okay moving on we'll talk briefly about hull so here's what we're going to do i will give each of you the opportunity to discuss one point that you think is salient about that match any one point you prefer i will start with you paul go uh i think i'm an emotional alien because i felt that way felt differently about that match to most people i talked to i thought we played generally i mean allowing for it's an fa cup match against hull and it's our second 11 but that's not really fair our first and a half 11 um and so lots of lots of decent players in there but not really familiar playing with each other i thought we played pretty well thought we moved the ball pretty well. At times, we moved it very well. At other times, we didn't move it well enough. I thought uh, Adrian Clark's breakdown, for anybody who didn't see it, was really good. Um, his critique of it was we didn't play the ball wide enough because uh, both wingers cut in, uh, which I think was pretty true, so that we ended up playing into their hands of having a densely packed box. I think that's right, though. We still managed to put in 33 call- crosses, so statistically... I would have thought we were actually doing pretty good at getting crosses in. But as he points out, it did get pretty condensed in there. He had props for Danny, which I was very pleased about. I think that was his pretty much his man of the match. I thought Danny looked really good, considering. Uh, he called out Theo as playing really well, which I was pleased for too, because I thought this was one of his better games. And yes, I'm Theo's biggest fan, but I've been pretty critical of him lately. He really called out the fact that he was fronting up against the guys instead of uh, having his back to them and and uh, kind of laying the ball off and trying to do the Giroud thing, which he's only going to get bumped around the pitch. He he turned really quickly 
to face up against his his guys looked really sharp. Um, and the one other pointer I'd pull out was, although we weren't very good at like that scoring thing, we hit the post, a couple of penos, uh, didn't go our way. And in particular, 61% of our shooting was on target, and that's another breakdown fact. But, you know, just with my own eye, you know, Theo, Danny, everybody pretty much got their shots on target or thereabouts but we just don't have that touch at the moment. So I know that that was one of your concerns. Anyway, overall, I thought pretty good. The subs didn't really move the needle for us. I thought uh, Giroud looked pretty good and pretty sharp. The other two, not so much. Tim, anything you want to add to Paul's 11 takeaways from the match? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Actually, I was going to make a point about the subs where um, perhaps last week against Leicester where the subs really won it for us. um, I actually thought the subs and... Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying they're the wrong decision. They were the wrong decision in anything other than hindsight. But actually, they came, not only did the subs not really affect the game, but they kind of accidentally came at exactly the wrong time. Um, Alexis and Giroud were standing on the sideline for quite a long time waiting to come on. And the reason for that was that we'd built up a real head of steam and we were really looking quite good with some momentum to attack. And then when those two came on, and again, it's uh, not laying it at their door per se, but, um, yeah, things kind of broke down and didn't look quite as fluent. And then, you know, I think it was always obvious he was only going to give away these 70, 75 minutes, but we just didn't really have another player of that ilk on um, on the bench, like a creative player that we, we probably really needed. Um, and I, you know, I don't think putting Chamberlain at number ten really helped anything because the point was we were trying to force the play too much, and we just didn't have that final through ball. And yeah, if if you're looking not to force the ball too much and be a bit more intricate, then Chamberlain's probably not the player you want playing behind the strikers. Um, but it is just a kind of similar story. We're we're really struggling to score goals at home at the moment, but we're not struggling to create chances. And um, I know we said something on the on the WhatsApp conversation in the aftermath of the game that we've got a lot of streaky players, goal scoring wise, in terms of Giroud, Ramsey, Alexis, um, even Walcott can be quite streaky, and uh, none of them are on a good streak at the moment, and it's yeah, it's it's really showing, particularly in our in our, in our home games. Um, in terms of the replay. Not really what we wanted, but I don't think those players are, you know, overloaded for games. So bring it on and let's go through. Yeah, I agree with pretty much everything both you guys said. I I think what I would add is just that um, my one takeaway would be Danny Welbeck. I think when you make Mm. so many changes to a squad, it is hard to evaluate what that means going forward because it's not that's not an eleven you'll see again, except maybe in the replay. Um, my worry was Danny Welbeck would come back and look very much like a player who missed a year of football and wouldn't be able to contribute significantly this season. And while the dreaded setback is always a possibility, I think what I took away from that match is he looks very fit yeah. and he looks very sharp. Um, and 
you know, everybody in the world at this point knows I'm not the biggest Giroud fan, but I recognize some of the traits he brings that Theo doesn't. And to me, Welbeck is the best possible hybrid of the traits of those two players to some extent. I also think if we have any intention of pressing and making pressing more a factor in our game going forward, you need Welbeck in the front three. Um, so I think my takeaway is that that he was a bright spot, that he looks like a player who can be a big contributor to the rest of our season. And the fact that he was taken off when he was is partly down to the fact that I'm sure he's still being eased back, but I wouldn't be shocked if there's a little thought in the manager's head to start him against Barcelona. Um, If I had to get a a 1B takeaway, since Paul got 11 and Tim got like two and a half, um, yeah, my my 1B takeaway would probably be El Nenny, to me, did some great things, I think, going forward and in possession. I thought he was bypassed a little easily defensively. And while it's hard to judge when you're playing with Matthew Flamini alongside you, who still wants to be a center forward, he doesn't look anything like a true holding midfielder to me. He looks more like a guy who could play alongside a holding midfielder. Um, and, and, you know, I guess that it remains to be seen what he'd look like with a more regular first-team player, although Flamini's been a regular first-team player due to injuries. Anyway, you get the point. Let's move on. So I didn't get to do the podcast after the Leicester match because I refused to come on after anything remotely resembling uh, any bullient, joy-bringing result. Um, I'm kidding. I wanted to be on. I couldn't. I was away uh, in New York City, which is never a bad thing, but I, I couldn't podcast because I didn't have the Wi-Fi capabilities for it. Um, and I'm cheap, and I didn't want to pay the $28 a day for the high-speed stuff. Anyway, um, So I I had this thought after the Leicester match because there really was this feeling that it's back on, that the title is back on, and I think it is back on. We all know the tough fixtures we have going forward. But I wanted to get you you guys to do something fun for me, if you wouldn't mind, okay? I've heard this before. Paul, you you have that lube now? Okay. (laughs) Elliot and fun in the same sentence on this part. Okay, go for it. Yeah. All right, so we all know the reasons why we think Arsenal can win the league. We all know why we believe it's possible. We all know how we see our own squad. And we all know that that Leicester result was a big result that could do it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the choice of the three squads, the three clubs that that potentially could challenge us for it. Leicester, Spurs, and Manchester City. I want you to pick one. And I want you to talk as if you're one of their supporters. Make the argument for why they're going to win it. Because I think we all know our arguments, why we think we're going to win it. But... I want to give the flip side opinion. You know, if you were coming at it from one of these other teams' perspectives, why would they think they're going to win it? So I'll give you the first draft pick, Tim. You can pick Spurs, City, or Leicester. I'll pick Manchester City. All right. You're a Manchester City supporter, or at least analyst. Tell me why you're the team that's going to, that's going to come through and win the title this season. Um, because they've been there and they've done it before, largely with this group of players. Um, I feel like this needs a we instead of a <laughs> <Yeah>. we. <laughs> um, I, I'm not sure I can stretch to that. Um, also, you know, the, the spine of the team, company, Silva, Aguero, Torre, while probably not um, at the peak of their powers, well, a couple of those players certainly not, have only played together four times this season and they won all four of those games fairly convincingly. And I think that tells you something. Um, and they're probably just about to get back together um, again, you know, the reunion. Um, and I think we'll probably see something a bit closer to the real Manchester City when that happens. Um, and they've got the best player in the league. Um, and he plays at centre-forward. Um, he's a real difference maker. He hasn't been injured for a few months now. His fitness looked, levels look pretty good. 
Um, and, and, and I think that's very, very ominous. Manchester City have the only player in the league who I think I would classify as you know, a player that can win a title pretty much on his own in the way that Luis Suarez nearly did, in the way that Thierry Henry could, um, in the way that Cantona did. Aguero is the only player in the Premier League of that vintage, in my opinion, and he looks mm-hmm. fit and he looks sharp. And, you know, I think experience counts for a lot when you get to this stage of the season. And those players, they've, they've been there and they've done it before. And I, I do think that, that that really counts for something. Yeah. Okay, you've thoroughly depressed me. Let's see if Paul can achieve something similar. You get to pick between Leicester and Spurs. Who are you going to choose? Spurs. I wanted Spurs. Fuck off. Come on, take Leicester, please. <laughs> you, you take Leicester. They're going to lose. Spurs you are going to win. Come no, on, no, man. Spurs take Leicester. No, I don't want Leicester. Le- Leicester are fucked. Spurs are going to win. All right. Tell me why. You sound too, too enthusiastic about this. <laughs> we have a great bunch of lads. There's a great spirit there. No, but seriously... Um, for the run-in, it's it, it's going to take a squad, as it has for the first two-thirds of the season. And one of the things my manager has done bloody great, that that craphead Wenger never does very well, is he rotates the snot out of his team. Uh, he does it based on science. He GPSs the snot. This is the most appropriate cutout of the remaining ever. And literally, play, so he keeps people with it. <laughs> Hello, Paul. Paul, li- literally, the internet cut out as you were trying to make an argument for Spurs winning the title. If there is not oh, a shit. more uh, ominous indicator, a more divine intervention, <laughs> I have not seen it. But all right, keep keep telling me why your beloved Spurs are going to win. All right, we'll give it another go. Uh, Pochettino uh, applying we caught, science. We caught the bit about about science and rotation. Good, good. All right, you got the rotation. Um, I think. One of the things you need is to have been there or to be so cocky that you don't know that it doesn't matter you haven't been there. And I think they have that. I think with Kane, with Deli Ali, those are two cocky bastards. Um, I think it's a very strong team. It doesn't seem to matter who they rotate in and out. Uh, and that's not true of Leicester. Outside of Kane, uh, it doesn't matter who they rotate in or out. Their schedule's not too bad. Um, I think they're now to the point where they, unlike Leicester, they don't need a team to come at them to win. Um, I think they're strong uh, defensively and in attack. I think they're balanced. I think they're cocky. I don't know what they're missing in terms of players. Strong goalkeepers, strong defense. Their defense is strong because it all hangs together in the way they play. It's a very balanced approach, very balanced team. I don't think they need to do anything different from what they're doing right now, and they know it. I think they can feel it, and I think they know it, and it's, this isn't the Spurs of old. They don't think they are. They don't feel they are. Different manager, different philosophy, different players, no hangover. Um, I think this is all new for them, and I don't right. think they give a shit. All right. I'm nauseous already. <laughs> I get it. Um, yeah, I, you know, if I had to say just one, one thing to knock them is their game re- – requires tremendous expenditure of energy and fitness over 90 minutes to press like that in a control game through the way they press. And they're going to have a lot of fixtures if they go deep into Europa League. Um, They were kind of fortunate to get knocked out of the FA Cup, as weird as that sounds. Can I say, though, the one knock against Pochettino is his teams tend to fade towards the end of the season. Well, because of that. Because they expend a lot of energy. 
but he's never rotated like this before. Fair enough. Um, I was going to do Spurs, so I'll give you my three reasons I think Spurs can win the league. And I'll do it using we. So first of all, we have those turfies, the little pitch animals that we created. And uh, during the North London Derby, the turfies are going to climb out of the turf and bite the Arsenal players' ankles. So that's going to help us win that game. Uh, we're used to living in Arsenal's shadow, so our eyes have acclimated to the dark, and this has caused us to have much more acute senses. It's, it's enhanced our hearing, our smell, our taste. Uh, so now we, we are sort of almost like genetically engineered to be superior uh, thanks to living in the shadow for so long. And then finally, we need to run a lot. In football, running is very important. And because football uh, in the Premier League is played by men, the challenge you have is that when you're trying to run a lot, your penis and testicles can interfere with the, the scissoring motion of your, your legs. Um, as we have very, very, very little penises and testicles, um, we can scissor our legs much faster, much easier without the chafing. So those are my three reasons, Spurs. I'm, I missed hit. all three of those points. Yeah, you didn't hit any of them. Uh, but all kidding aside, I'll take Lester really quickly, and I think the Lester argument's a simple one. Um, we have the least to lose. We we don't expect to be here. We're going to finish top four, which is already a huge success. We're going to be in Europe next season. So the rest is just a bonus. Is fun. City, Arsenal, Spurs, they will feel they've choked if they don't win it. We don't have anything to lose, so we can play with freedom. We have a relatively straightforward uh, run of fixtures, and we play once a week the rest of the season. So fatigue will not be an issue for us. But Arsenal, uh, City, Spurs, they all have at least double the fixtures that we have. So we uh, we have the easiest run, in, and we are leading the league. So, you know, we're we're the ones they have to chase. All we have to do is keep playing like we have been with our squad that's basically championship level. Anyway, that's it. Uh, that covers it. So if you were wondering what it might feel like to come at the argument from the other side, uh, there you have it. I think the most compelling argument for Spurs, of course, are the tiny, tiny genitals. Um, all right. Let's get on to the elephant in the room, the big, scory, scary, Catalan, bitey, Argentine, Brazilian elephant in the room, uh, Barcelona. We renew our rivalry with this team, if you can call it a rivalry. Um, It hasn't been a very happy rivalry for us in Europe, and I don't think there's a lot of expectation that it will be this time. Let's just start with this. Tim, what should the expectations reasonably be for this tie? I mean, do as fans, should we expect to qualify or or can we look at this tie another way? No, we should not expect to qualify. Um and anyone that expects to qualify is probably going to be disappointed. Um I think what we can expect is to compete Definitely. Um, I think, uh, you know, certainly in the home game, we shouldn't be looking at getting thrashed out of sight. I think we can give them a really good game, definitely at home. I think where we've got Barca, the last couple of times we've played them, we've been able to trouble them in the last 20 minutes because as brilliant as they are in La Liga, the majority of their games are done with, you know, 30 minutes to go and more. And, you know, I, I think the Premier League is a more intense league, certainly physically, um, and that actually we can play on that. We did that to Munich as well, I think, and I think that was kind of deliberate in terms of just trying to kind of go toe-to-toe with them for 70 minutes or so. And then we scored twice in the last kind of, what, 10, 15 minutes? Because, again, Bayern are used to having games won by half-time. So, I, you know, I, I think there are... 
there are definitely positives there. In terms of expectation, though, I mean, over two legs, it's incredibly difficult to see us going through. But, you know, I've, I, I have a lot of misgivings about what this might do to the games around it. I described it on Saturday, this tie is like a bushfire um, that, that threatens to destroy the games around it, and I really don't want that Jesus. to happen. Um, and I kind of think it already started to happen with the whole game, that there wasn't quite the focus there. And um, I'd be very disappointed if, if that happens. Nevertheless, you know, at the end of the day, there's no point in being downcast or um, about this tie because, the, you know, this is why we made all that effort to keep qualifying for this competition. This is why, you know, with all the fourth as a trophy jokes, ha-ha, very funny. But this is why we kept qualifying, isn't it? And this is why we worked our absolute balls off to qualify from the group when... You know, when to all intents and purposes we looked like we were out and we worked really hard to get back in it. And we're probably not going to win the Champions League. It's a very, very closed shop now, I think. And I think Blasphemy. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's a much poorer competition for that. Nevertheless, you know, these are the games you want when you qualify for competitions like this. Otherwise, what is the point? Um, so we might as well go out there, really, really enjoy it. I'm, I'm sure the players will be, you know, and I've seen a lot of kind of, oh, how seriously should we take this? I mean, honestly, can you make, first of all, what, what it would do to the confidence of the players if Arsene Wenger just turned around and said, yeah, don't bother with this one, you're not good enough, um, and the ramifications that would have. But honestly, the, these players will be so excited about this game. This, You know, these are elite professional athletes this is what they put in all that work for for games like this mm -hmm. um, and, and I think the expectation should be to compete um, definitely tomorrow night or if you're listening to this on Tuesday tonight you know to compete and, and have a good game I'm, I'm not convinced we'll get a win um, but I, th I think we can run them pretty close in the first leg at the very least and my expectation would be to enjoy it. It's kind of a freebie. Nobody expects us to go through. Um, and, you know, anything else is, is kind of a bonus, really. Well, that that leads me to sort of a unique take on this. And, and I, I want to know, Paul, if, if you sort of see it this way. Last season, where we fucked up against Monaco, is that we were naive. And instead of playing the first game like the first half, we played the first game like a game. Right, like like its own fixture, and once we had some momentum, we pushed for another goal that we didn't need to push for, ultimately allowing them to get the goal that that put us out of the Champions League. We were basically out at halftime. Given the likelihood that we are going to get thrashed at the new camp, or certainly not get a result at the new camp, and the lift that the team could get from beating Barcelona at all, even if we don't qualify, could he? Could you make an argument? for approaching this game as a one-off instead of a two-leg tie and saying, you know what, let's go try to beat Barcelona at home and not be cagey and not try to still be in the tie at halftime, so to speak, but just go try to win this one. And Because to me, any result in this game is going to be a huge confidence boost regardless of what happens at the new camp. But, you know diligently and grimly holding on for a nil-nil, for example, or a 1-1 or so, you know, I don't, 
I don't know that that does us any good when we go to the new camp and get tonked three one four one four nil something like that. Well, uh, I see where you're coming from. I guess I would say Grimling holding on for a zero zero or anything scoreless on their side, uh, anything above zero zero, be really good. Um, would zero zero wouldn't be the worst result for us. One one, not very exciting. I think we're going to get tonked at the new camp. But there's a whole mentality that would come if with the whole away goals thing, if we can hold them to 0-0. So not the worst result. I think the difference between this and Monaco is, as you alluded to, with Monaco, we could elect to go to go at them with different gears. With this fucking thing, we're going to be holding on by our fingernails, uh, you know, as they come at us with a, a fucking buzzsaw. So uh, whatever fancy plans we might have had in the dressing room, and I don't think they'd be that fancy... Um, they'll all go out the window. What's what's that thing about battle plans survive the first encounter with the enemy? I mean, we're just going to be holding on, uh, I believe. As Tim says, when the when twenty or when seventy minutes goes or seventy five minutes goes, and maybe it'll be off some set pieces, you know, a corner kick, a free kick here or there, where that's the great leveler. They're no better defending those than any other team, possibly not as good, because they generally don't face that from a possession standpoint. So I think the big hope for us is to stay in it. Uh, last 20 minutes, some counter-attacking if we haven't got lucky before that. And the counter-attacking, maybe at the end of the day, we don't score, but we get a corner off it or it gets turned around behind or whatever and gives us some possession down their end. And it may be a Giroud header. And I do, do agree with you on the Danny Welbeck point. The, the manager has to be sorely attempted to get him on the pitch with his ability to intercept, turnover, pressure. Uh, another counting attacking um, option, but giving us a you know a real presence on the right wing defensively. Um, so I don't know. I think I think you do. To be fair, you can you quote Monaco, but you got to quote Bayern and Barca, where ultimately we've been unsuccessful but we've been within a goal or uh, an away goals rule or uh, not getting red carded and a bit of luck. So I think you do what you did all those other times and stay in it, hang in there and try and get a result in the last 20 minutes. Any fear of getting embarrassed and having negative psychological consequences for the season? Uh, Yeah, but... I mean, yeah, but you deal with that if it happens. You don't, uh, as the manager once said, he didn't, doesn't quite relate to this, but if you don't believe, you'll never win or you'll never achieve it. So at the end of the day, could it have bad, a bad impact if we're shown that we're not in their league and players like Ozil and Sanchez are standing in a team that has embarrassed itself? Yeah, but yeah. you, you deal I mean, with that afterwards. As, as your favorite team would say, to dare is to do. Um, you, you know, Tim, I mean, that is one thing that I think we all have a little bit of post-traumatic stress disorder about is losing our best players. And is there any reality in your mind to the idea that if you face a Barcelona and you're totally shown up and shown not to be in their class, that suddenly players who consider themselves very, very big players like Alexis Sanchez or Mesut Ozil say, why am I at this two-bit club? I need I need to go somewhere else. Or is that something that we as fans project onto them because of our PTSD? 
Um, I think that's something that we probably project onto them because, you know, to be brutally honest, Mesut Ozil's been at Real Madrid and they sold him. Alexis Sanchez has been at Barcelona and they sold him. You know, they're, they're wonderful, wonderful players, but, the act, you know, the truth of the matter is they were both considered dispensable by clubs, of the, by the super clubs. Um, you know, so I, I don't really think they're in a position um, to think that because... You know, and again, I'm projecting here in advance of them saying or thinking anything of this sort. But you know, I've said this before: they are Arsenal because it's their level, and um, and that's you know that's not a bad level <laughs> at all. But they're here because they're brilliant, but they're not as good as Bale, Ronaldo, um, Messi, Suarez, and Neymar, and that and that's the end of it. And if, if they want to go to one of those clubs. They've still got those players in the way, um, so you know I, I I don't worry about that too much. No, what I worry about is you know going back to my point earlier. I've, I've just seen you know people make the argument how seriously should we take this? If you're trying to convince Mesut Ozil and Alexis Sanchez to sign new contracts, you're not going to do that by telling them they can't beat Barcelona. Um, <clears throat> and really, the way the way for those players to prove that they're of an absolute top-class level is to go out there, turn out, turn in a brilliant, brilliant performance and perhaps even win us the tie because if, we, if we're going to win it, it, you know, it won't quite be a miracle, but it's unlikely. Um, it's very, very likely to come from a piece of brilliance or several pieces of brilliance from the likes of Alexis and Ozil. So um, really that's the way that they should look at it. Um, if we go out and get outclassed, then they're as much a part of that as anybody else. And the reason for that is that because they're not at the Barcelona kind of level. Um, therefore, no, I don't really worry about that, to be honest. Yeah, well, that's good. You've put our minds at ease. Thank you for that. Um, God knows I always need my mind put at ease, and the drugs only half work these days. Um, so let's get into the actual game very briefly, um, since most people will be listening to this after the game is already over and be drunk on expensive bottles of champagne. Paul, it is it is time. Build right. build us build us a winning team sheet, my friend. Uh, well, the back four is obvious. The goalkeeper, I think. Uh, I think we go with whoa, check. Whoa, whoa, check whoa. this time. We go Wait with check. The back four is obvious. Hold hold, hold up. Gabriel's no. So you're not you're not going to start Debushi, you're not going to start no. Gabriel. You're not going to start pull- Callum. Ch- I'm kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke. Okay, <laughs> keep going. The back five, back five picks itself. Go from there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I toyed around with some ideas, but at the end of the day, Arson's going to pick Ramsey and Coquelin. I would imagine. Uh, and I think I think that makes sense. I think for this game. Uh, you need that base, and you don't do anything freaky there. So you got your Mesut Ozils. So I think you play all of them. Um, Alexis on the left. There's no question over that. Well, Alexis is playing. There's no question over that on the left. I think Danny on the right. And so really for me, the only choice is whether I start with Ali and bring on Theo later for somebody, for Danny or for Ali, or I start with Theo. 
uh, and I'd be very tempted to start with Theo, Danny, or Sanchez, but I think Giroud, just because despite the fact that he's not scoring, I think he's actually still in form and the manager will back him. Uh, he's very positive body language. He's assisting. He's doing the right things. Um, and Danny gives us that cover from a counter-attacking and pace standpoint that maybe Theo, the temptation to have Theo on for, would bring. So mm-hmm. I think I'm sticking with Ali, and I think that's probably the right choice. But the one debate I would have is whether to put in Theo at striker. I don't. I don't think he's going to pick Giroud. And and Tim, I want your team sheet. And and it's not that I disagree with Paul, but. In the league, the manager has a tendency to be very conservative. He just kind of goes with what's safe. But in cup competitions, both the FA Cup and the Champions League, he's had a history of making some interesting decisions. We know that he famously started walkout over Giroud in the FA Cup final. We also know that this is a guy who started Yaya Sonogo in the first leg against Bayern Munich over Olivier Giroud. Now, granted, there were some extenuating hotel room intercourse-related circumstances to that, but you think there's a chance that, that he pulls some surprises here and, and goes with something maybe a little less conventional? And there were extenuating um, circumstances for the FA Cup. Let me just which add. is that Giroud yeah. was not in good form and Theo was. I don't know. And is Theo that extenuating was. or is that just yep. sort of yeah, called yeah. like life? Anyway, go ahead. Um, I think there's, there's a chance. I don't think it will happen. I think you'll see the normal back five. I think you'll see Ramsey and Coquelin because neither of them played on Saturday. And also, actually, the 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 quote-unquote problem that Ramsey and Coquelin gives you as a midfield pairing just doesn't exist against Barcelona because the problem it gives you yeah. is not being able to build possession. Well, we're not going to fucking have any, so it's not really going to be that much of a problem. What they're both very good at is they're both very good at pressing. I think they're very good at knowing when to drop off as well. I think they're both quite intelligent um, in that respect, so I'd definitely go with those two. I think they're the, the sort of midfield player you, you need. Alexis is definitely going to play on the left. Ozil's definitely going to play. I think Giroud will start up front, and I think um, you know the team selection on Saturday told you that. Um, I think that because we lack passers and we lack guys that can build the game up, um, we're going to be quite direct again and that means having Giroud as that kind of release valve for pressure um, and then you know hopefully players breaking around him when we do get the chance the really interesting one for me is the right wing um, and you know I've seen some suggestions maybe you put Ramsey back out there and then put maybe other Flamini around any in the middle I don't see that um, alongside Coughlin yeah yeah I don't see that to be honest um I think on the right we'll probably see Chamberlain if if he's fit enough I think he'd be very tempted to go with Danny Welbeck Welbeck performed brilliantly for Manchester United against Real Madrid in that position a few years ago and you know he he'd, he'd be the ideal choice I think but whether he's fit enough um I guess we'll see um maybe as Paul says there's there's a very big case for perhaps giving Welbeck another 60 70 minutes and then unleashing Theo from the bench in that 20-minute window where you really, you know, if Arsenal are going to win um, the first leg, they're probably going to have to do it in the last 20 minutes. So there's probably a good case for, for having Theo kind of held back in reserve. Um, and, yeah, I, th- I think we'll see Giroud up front and we'll see Arsenal try and go a little bit direct. Um, I don't think Barcelona are a t- 
particularly commanding at centre half with with aerial balls and with set pieces, and I think Giroud really gives you that. So I, I don't think we'll have any big surprises in the starting lineup. I think the right wing is the only position that's that's really not sewn up. And there's even a good there's a good case for Joel Campbell as well because he works very hard and he he keeps the ball well. Um, I'm just not convinced he carries quite enough threat and we're going to have to be quite efficient on that front because we're not going to get many chances to attack. So um, I, I I think he gave away a lot of what his team selection will be by who he left out um, on Saturday. And I, I think the right wing is the only area of the team that Arsene Wenger will not have had 100% in his mind until possibly even today. It's interesting. You know, I watched Barcelona at the weekend, and you could make an argument that it was just a lackluster performance with one eye in the Champions League. But when you press them, and when you run at them in midfield, they don't handle it well. I mean, Messi, Neymar, and Suarez are not going to help back. They're just not. So you're talking about, you know, the the reality is that you got seven guys back, the, the back four, and often Danny Alves will be pushed up and... I don't know that you know Rakitic didn't start at the weekend, but I I don't know how effectively he's going to really stop us, you know, counterattacking into their half. Busquets is the best, but but he really is the best because of his positioning and his distribution and his work on the ball. Um, I I just think they could be vulnerable if if you're running at them and you have pace and dynamism and energy in midfield and up front. And I, I would, I would get as dynamic and energetic as possible. I mean, Welbeck, Walcott, Alexis, Ramsey, Coughlin and Ozil. And I I think try to play on the front foot because to me, if we sit back and try to defend in a low block, they will eventually pick us apart and, and, and ruin us. You can't defend Messi one-on-one. You can't defend Neymar one-on-one. The way Suarez uses half spaces and makes little runs off the back shoulder, we don't press the ball well in our own half. We usually give them too much room 30, 35 yards out, and whether it's Rakitic or Messi or Iniesta or you know, even Busquets picking those, those little through balls, I just think we'll get destroyed. I'd rather see us try to play a little bit more on the front, front foot. When they get the ball, press them and, and hope that you can keep them from really pinning us back. Because if they pin us back, I, I think eventually it's just a house of cards. We're going we're gonna to start to concede. And the, the idea that we'll be able to counterattack, honestly, I, you know, I don't... Have you guys seen any evidence of this really breathtaking counterattack from us anytime recently? So I did um, want to ask the two of you related to this. Uh, sorry, Tim. Uh, very related to this. Have you guys seen a more intercepty front footed team than the one we're likely to put out here because every single player you go across the back line they all have it in them it's all there in it they all have that tendency to nip in and get the ball same with this midfield central midfield too Ozo Ozo's pretty sneaky and he'll be well up for this and the front three no matter what front three I think particularly if we stick to Danny Welbeck in it they're a freaking handful. They, they'll all be looking to nip in and grab the ball. I, I don't mind the idea, by the way, of starting with a front three of Welbeck, Alexis, and Ramsey and letting Ramsey form a four in midfield um, in possession and, and then letting those guys press. And the question just becomes then, who do you pair alongside Coughlin? And only the manager will know if El Nenny's looked up to it in practice 
to really be a factor. Um, I am going to basically say that I, I, gosh, I know it's crazy. I just don't, I think he's going to find a way to get well back in the starting lineup. I really do. If, if he's fit enough, um, uh, physically, his physicality is running his energy. I think is everything that the game needs. So, all right. We get that that's, that's kind of how we see us approaching the match. And, and I get that. I don't think any of us think we're favorites in this tie. So let's really quickly wrap up with expectations. And Tim, I'll start with you. Um, Optimism, pessimism, all that aside, realistically, what do you see as a as a scoreline tomorrow? Or today, depending on when you're listening to <laughs> Well, my, my prediction is a 2-1 defeat um, for Arsenal. So, I, you know, not a mauling by any means. And but possibly, annoyingly, it'll give us a little glimmer for the second leg. Um, but, yeah, I, I, you know, I think the thing is, for all our kind of plans for counter-attacking and for how we might expose their vulnerabilities you know I think they're they're all perfectly good points if there's if there's somewhere that Barcelona can be got at it's in defense or at least the defensive side of their game there's that's no secret um they don't even have a fact a particularly good goalkeeper because most of the time in Spain they don't even need one um that said the difficulty with Barcelona for all of their weaknesses and for all the things that you think you can do to them, they don't give the ball up. And that's a big, big problem because it masks all of the weaknesses that they have because you just don't see the football um, and you spend your entire match chasing it. And that, you know, that kind of makes a lot of what you want to do to hurt them redundant, um, quite frankly. Um we're certainly going to have to be a lot more efficient in front of goal. I, I, I have the feeling we will be, just because I think, for better or, or worse, they'll be very, very focused on this, the players, which, again, I think has some frustrations because you just think, well, if you're that focused all the time, then you know you wouldn't have to have 25 shots to score a goal. But I, I'm fairly confident that we can be fairly clinical because I think the focus will be very, very high. But... I just think the reality is it's not just those those three forwards who are terrifying. It's just that Barcelona don't give the football up and that the reality of the situation is that um, all of our strengths are going to be neutered because we're not going to have possession of the ball. So, I, you know, I wouldn't be massively surprised if we came out, you know, with a, shall we say, non-defeat like a draw. Even if we won by a goal, I wouldn't be hugely shocked by that. I'd be shocked if we went through the tie. Um, but in reality, I think maybe we win this one time out of ten. Um, yeah. And I, I just don't quite think that's going to happen tomorrow night. Yeah, you know, for me, I, I think that <laughs> it's one of those situations I could completely see this being a game that we're discussing after the match saying, I really feel like we outplayed them after a 4-2 loss. You know what I mean? Mm. You could totally see us playing the game of our lives, being up for it, having really good moments, much the way we did against Bayern when we did start with Sonogo, and I believe Ozil missed a penalty and stuff like that. But it only takes a second for a Messi or a Suarez or a Neymar to do something brilliant, and suddenly the ball's in the back of the net, and you're holding your head saying, but we've been outplaying them. And I just worry the concentration level you have to have to keep them out is so high. Um 
And unfortunately, any away goal is going to feel really crushing um, because we know what can happen in the new camp. And you just wonder if they get that first goal, do our heads go down a little bit? And, and then it could get really messy. So I actually think we'll score. I think anybody who watched them at the weekend knows you can get at that back four. And maybe the weekend wasn't reflective of what they can do, much like the Hall match wasn't reflective for us. I think we can get at them. And I think we will create chances and good chances. I just worry that uh, they will create more and score more of their chances. Paul, what do you think? Um, I don't think we'll outplay them, but we might. Our game. I think your point was probably that our game plan might work, and we still get shafted. Which I yeah, think. Yeah, I, 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 I yeah. was just sort of saying. I think. Sorry, but just to yeah. clarify, not not that we'll outplay them. We're not going to play the, the better football. I don't think, but more that. Yeah. It won't be a hammering. We're on the back foot constantly. I could actually see us outperforming expectation, but still underperforming in result. Yeah, I mean, if there's a team, well, I guess past past experience says we have a decent shot. We just do Uh, until one of these teams proves we don't. You know, we've given Bayern a game. You know, on a on a on a on both occasions in one of the two legs. We just kind of got to string it together uh, in both legs, and that's always our difficulty. So I I think we're going to do okay tomorrow night. Um, I think we could get a result, I think. But if I had to bet money on it, I think Tim's bet is the best. I think 2-1. But, you know, we'll see. my, My hope is that we make a good showing of it, that it's reasonably enjoyable to watch, and that we come away from it not embarrassed by it i mean obviously my hope is that we win and that we we win seven nil and then go through seven six on aggregate but um you you know it it is it is tough because we did fight so hard to get out of the group we do fight so hard to qualify for the champions league and you get a draw like this and you almost can't get up for it because it it does feel so daunting um and we've been unlucky we faced Barcelona in the Champions League when they were the greatest team in club history. We faced Bayern Munich in the Champions League when they were one of the greatest clubs in in one of the greatest teams in club history or clubs in team history. And then we're facing Barcelona again under the same circumstances. Um, I guess the moral of the story is win your group. Anyway. And we we faced Monaco when they were one of the greatest teams in club history. Yeah. And AC Milan when they were one of the greatest teams in club history and so on and so forth. Yeah. Okay, I think we should leave it there. This is you know, mostly just a half-assed podcast to say that we did one because no one's really going to be thinking Hull tomorrow when this comes out, and uh, by the time most people listen to it, the match will be over. So call this our placeholder podcast until we actually talk about the Barcelona uh, game and preview the Manchester United game, which I assure you will be a much, much better podcast. You're not going to want to miss that one um, if you're even listening at this point at all. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes. The recommended uh, style of doing that is you give it five stars and then you just say all this nasty shit in the comments. Um, But the five stars is the key. Anyway, uh, Tim Stillman is on uh, uh, Twitter at Stilberto. He is a writer for the Arse blog thing that I eloquently referenced earlier in the pod. Uh, Tim, thank you for coming on. Up the ass. Yeah, whatever you want to do, man. Paul's got the lube. So, you know. Uh, Paul, you can find him on Twitter at Posing in My Pants. Thanks, Paul. I'm at the cash register getting extra right now. Oh, by the way, I'm a blogger again. You didn't mention oh. that. Sorry. Paul, Paul is a uh, once and future blogger. Uh, how, how frequently should we expect those now? Once every uh, victory against a Barcelona or Bayern. 
Sweet. All right. So that'll be two in the next fortnight. All right. My name is Elliot Smith. Block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner if you haven't done so already. We really appreciate you tolerating us. Um, remember, if you're looking for Paul, uh, he's the Spurs fan. We'll be back after the Barcelona first leg victory. Talk to you then. Cheers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.